in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, here's another passage that we have referenced in every one of our sermons on this series. And let me also say, though, before we go any further, I'm going to do my very best not to repeat things that we have already studied in detail. I realize some of these themes kind of overlap and some are kind of connected. I'm going to do my very best not to do that and just focus on the six things that remain in the book of Titus chapter 1. Now, one of the passages that we have cited each and every time, though, in Titus chapter 1 is verse 5, where the Apostle Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint or ordain elders in every city as I have commanded you. Very, very briefly now, the place of Crete was no small place. It was the fifth largest island on the Mediterranean Sea. It was 185 miles long, and at its widest part, it was 35 miles wide. We find that there were over 100 cities there, and we also find, as ancient historians would declare, there were over a million people that lived in Crete. And when the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to this evangelist by the name of Titus, he said, this is why I have left you behind. I've left you behind for these reasons, to set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every city. You know, the very idea that they could ordain elders in every city, and that phrase obviously means this, by the way, it means a plurality of elders in every church in every city. When it says, and ordain elders in every city, that's what it's talking about. Ordain a plurality of elders in every church in every city. Now, this shows the extensive spread of the gospel by the time of Paul's letter, no doubt. Now, quickly, the office of an elder is referenced by three different names. All three are referring to the same office. He is called an elder, and an elder means older and with experience. So it describes an experienced older man. Secondly, he is called a bishop, and that word means overseer, and that describes his duty to the congregation. He is an overseer of it. And finally, a pastor, and he is called a pastor describing his task, and that is to feed or shepherd the flock of God. Now, even though Paul commanded Titus to ordain elders in every church, there are still qualifications. Have you ever stopped to consider why there were so many qualifications to be an elder in the Lord's church? We're going to talk about the importance of this office at the very end of our sermon. But why were there so many? And by the way, did you hear me in my introduction? I said 24 qualifications and then I said or maybe even 25 qualifications. The reason for that is some scholars say that in the very beginning when Paul said, if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good work. Some, do, some say that desire is not part of the requirements. I think it is. I think it's the first qualification is you have to desire the office. If you add that one as one of the qualifications, there are 25. 25 qualifications to be an elder in the Lord's church. I'm not going to talk about the ones that we've already covered. I think we've covered 19 of them or so, but here we go. Let's go into the qualifications now as found in Titus chapter 1. And the first one is, you can't be self-willed. 
not self-willed. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, for a bishop, and we just talked about the fact that that means overseer, describing his duty, in other words, still the same office, still an elder. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God and not self-willed. That phrase or that word self-willed comes from the Greek word authetes, and it means arrogant, arbitrary, or even overbearing. Now, that word, that Greek word, is found in only two places in all the Bible. It's found in Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, and it's also found in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, where the Bible says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. What are we talking about? We're talking about an obstinate, inflexible, arbitrary, arrogant person. Now, if an elder is obstinate, if he is inflexible, if he is a tyrant, if he is arrogant, overbearing, and condescending, how is he going to work with people? You know, we talk about the difference between working with people and dealing with people. Those are two different things. Let me give you a little example. There was an NFL football team that hired a coach. And the coach came in, and in his press conference, they asked the coach, they said, what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with your mercurial receiver? And by the way, mercurial means, basically, it's talking about uh, unpredictable. And back, it actually goes back, to, that word actually goes back to 1500. In that year, in that ancient era of language, of English, and it actually meant somebody that was unpredictable, guided by Mercury, the planet, and therefore had unpredictable behavior. So the word now is basically talking about an unpredictable, disruptive person. So the coach was asked, how are you going to deal with this mercurial personality? And he said, I love this, I don't deal with players, I work with them. Now, if we spent more time working with people, especially as they grow, then we will spend a whole lot less time in the future dealing with them and dealing with problems. Working with them. Elder has to do that. Can't be overbearing. Can't be arbitrary. Can't be a tyrant. Can't be unreasonable. We talked about the fact before that he can't take the authoritarian approach in leadership. Peter describes how an elder should serve in a congregation. 2 Peter chapter 5, beginning there in verse 2. It says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Now, the greatest form of leadership is your example. That is absolutely nothing new. Everybody here knows that. Everybody here understands the greatest form of leadership is your example. People are more concerned about our behavior and people are more concerned about what we do and our example than they really are 
in what we have to say. Now, here's the flip side to that. If our example is what it ought to be, and people see the demonstration of our life as it ought to be, they will listen to the verbal leadership that we give them or the advice that we might give them in the future. An elder has to be someone who has a good example. He can't have that kind of arrogant, arbitrary, or overbearing type of personality. Now, in both of these pas passages, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, and 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, in both of these passages, this Greek word right there means this. It is referring to human impulse instead of obedience to divine command. In other words, the divine command is to be this way, right? This Greek word here is the flip side of that. In other words, it's talking about somebody that follows their human impulse rather than what is commanded of them. Can't be self-willed and be an elder. Here's another one. This is another negative one. And that is you can't be quick-tempered. An elder is not quick-tempered. Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered. And I will say this too before going any further. Some of these will spend a whole lot less time on and others will spend more time on today. But this is not quick-tempered. Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. The phrase quick-tempered or those words comes from a Greek word that means not soon angry or not inclined to anger. You know, this is nothing new. In fact, the book of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 24 says this. Listen to this. Make no friends with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Look at the influence of an angry man. And the wise man of old said, don't make friends with an angry man. What's it talking about? Somebody that is soon angry or inclined to anger. Now, verse 25 of Proverbs 22 gives the reason why we don't make friends with those kind of people. Verse 25, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You know, the reason for this qualification is a quick-tempered person is displaying a lack of self-control instead of being patient and gentle as he ought to be. This negative qualification is similar to two others that we've already studied. Remember these two? Brawler and striker. Now I gotta tell you something, I was so dumb when I was a kid. I thought, when I heard this when I was a little kid taught on, when I heard the passage in the King James preacher got up and read, not a striker, I thought, oh, you can't be on a strike. Can't ever go on strike. It's an interesting phrase, that word striker. What's that actually talking about? The King James renders the word striker. Now in that, the word striker, at the time of the publication of the King James Bible, it referred to a person that went around, get this, thumping people on the head with a quarterstaff. Now what's a quarterstaff? A quarterstaff was a six to eight foot pole Okay, with a metal deal on the end, a, a, a lead deal on the end, lead tip on the end. 
And he would go around and he would thump people on the head. He was called a striker. Later on, it was used, a quarterstaff, as a means of a weapon. So that is the picture. Now, I love what the New King James says about it because it really tells us exactly what it is. The New King James says you can't be violent. In other words, you can't be a striker in the King James, meaning you cannot be a violent type of person. Now, these are all negative qualifications that we've noticed so far. And really, they, they go together because a quick-tempered person, a quick-tempered person will also lead to violence. If you get mad every time somebody says something you don't like, it's only a matter of time before you misbehave. I've known people in my life like that. They get mad all the time. I knew people when I went to college at Cal Poly, they were mad all the time. You know what? They were also violent all the time too. A qualification of an elder is someone that is not soon angry, not quick-tempered, because that kind of a person needs to be gentle and mild and not be a violent person. Now let me ask you this. Is there anything different from that qualification for an elder? Please, please listen. Is there anything different about an elder than a Christian? Absolutely not. A Christian can't be quick-tempered either. A Christian can't be violent either. So these fit our Christian lives too. All right, these are two negative qualifications. Let's have a positive one. Let's have a positive one. An elder for a qualification has to be a lover of what is good. And that's found in Titus chapter 1 verse 8. So in other words, in verse 7, he says the negative things that we are not to be involved in. And then he goes into the positive things and he begins with being hospitable. We've already talked about hospitality, so we won't do that. But the very next thing is a lover of what is good. What does that mean? What does that mean? It actually comes from the Greek word philagothes. And, it, and in the King James Version, it says a lover of good men. Now, the phrase lover of good men is not broad enough. It's not a broad enough description of what the word actually means. In fact, in the ancient world, the word appeared as an honorary epithet in religious inscriptions. In other words, when it described a religious person, he was a lover of what is good. What's that mean? King James, New King James simply says this. A lover of what is good, which means a lover of what is all good or all things that are good. You know, Paul encourages Christians to always do good. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Paul said, Let no cor corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. In addition, Peter's words could also be used to describe one who is a lover of good. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. And keep a good conscience. This is out of the New American Standard, by the way. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, a man that has this qualification 
is a man that would fit Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what, that, what is evil, and cling to that which is good. And that leads us to our next positive qualification. And that is a person that is just. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, he says just that. He said you have to be, in addition to being sober-minded, and we've already dealt with that one in 1 Timothy, in addition to that, a man must be just. The word just is the Greek word dikaios, and it means upright and it means righteous. It is talking about someone who conforms to the laws of God and man and lives in accordance with them. Now, I got to say about being righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, how do we take that and apply it to our life when we're commanded to live righteously? Well, first of all, the word righteous means right doing. Now, when the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, it means that none of us on our own merit, by our own standard, by our own deeds, is righteous by ourselves. And nobody can be righteous without the Lord. In fact, let's do this. Let's go back to an ancient man that lived a long time ago, Abraham. The Bible says it was imputed unto Abraham that he was righteous because of his obedience. So in other words, because of his obedient life, it was counted to him as if he were righteous. Now, what does it mean for us to be righteous? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, he who practices righteous is, righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. In other words, it's a matter of right doing. A just man will do that which is right. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate or the disobedient. Joseph was described as a just man. You remember that in Matthew 1 and 19, the husband of Mary. Cornelius in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter in the 22nd verse. He was the first Gentile convert and he was called this. Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews. Now, I think it's worthy of note here. There's not one of these qualifications for an elder that's unreasonable. Have you ever stopped to consider? We spend a long time and a lot of time talking about the qualifications and we realize that we look around us and very few follow, fall uh, into those that qualify. But have you ever stopped to consider that of the qualifications to be an elder, there's nothing at all that's unreasonable? We can sum up everything that Paul dealt with in both passages, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, with all the qualifications. And really, we could sum it up like this. Here it is. You know what an elder needs to be? An upright, honest, and clean family man. Not hard to be. What else? He must be God-fearing. He must be righteous and deeply devoted to his faith. Every one of the qualifications fall under both of those categories. It's not asking too much, is it? 
Even though they're very realistic, though, they are required. And just because a person is a nice person, it's not necessarily an elder material. So, a just man leads us into the next qualification, the next positive qualification. That is this. And I'll tell you this. This word is very much misunderstood. It's this word right here. Holy. People misunderstand what holy means. Sometimes people think that a person that is holy means I am better. If I am holy, I am better. In other words, I am better, therefore I look condescendingly upon everyone else. I am cut above, I am better. But did you know that the word holy does not mean elevated at all when it comes to a person's life? Now, when we talk about the things that God deems holy, like God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the things, the Word of God, the things that God deems holy, those things are elevated. But when the word holy is describing a person, it is different. In fact, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, we, are, we find that not only is a man to be just, which lives righteously, but he also must be holy. What does that word mean? That word comes from the Greek word hoses, and it means this, devout and pleasing to God. That's holy. I'm I'm just going to let that set for a second. That's good stuff. The definition of this word is good stuff. That's what it means. A person could say sometimes, oh, I'm just unworthy. I know. Yeah, you are. I am too. We all are. I've heard people say, I just couldn't live faithful the Christian life. I don't think I could do it holy enough. Okay, well, if you talk about your own goodness, no, you can't, neither can I. But here's the point. It's not about that. Can you do this, though? Can you be devout? And that'll be demonstrated in what? Your right doing, which is just. Can you live your life pleasing to God? That's it. If you can do that, you are living a holy life. And all of those things are given in the word of God. Let me show you a passage, by the way. Where the word holy and just, those Greek words are used together in the same passage. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. Watch this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. And by the way, it's not talking about an elder here. It's talking about the new man in Christ. It's talking about someone that's been baptized into Christ, has risen to walk in newness of life, therefore putting on the new man in Christ. Just talking about a Christian. Now watch this. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness. By the way, that's just. That's the just word. And true holiness, which is what? Devout and pleasing to God. I think we can do that. I know we can do that. It's talking about this. Not just talking about elder folks. It's talking about every Christian. Every Christian can do that. It's not an unreasonable requirement. 1 Peter chapter 1, and beginning in verse 14, listen to this. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Again, nothing is unreasonable here. These are not unreasonable requirements. Now, All of those things being said, 
He has to be a lover of what is good. He has to be just. He has to be holy. These were three from that passage that we haven't dealt with. But you know what? There's more. There's more. And you know what it is? And we'll spend our final time on this requirement here. There's a reason for it all. There's a reason for it all. Here it is. Holding fast the faithful word. Holding fast the faithful word. It's found in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's read that. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those that contradict. Now i got to just say just a little history here. When elders were ordained in every city, there was great opposition in those cities. You remember that? In fact, the early church composed or comprised of Christians that were Jewish by blood, for example, and the first Christians were from the Jews. They were Jews their whole life. Their family had been Jews also. And therefore, when it came to hearing the gospel, they obeyed the gospel. They were spiritually minded men. They didn't have to go very far to qualify to be an elder, right? Here we go. Now they're members of the church. Paul says ordain elders in every city, meaning in every church, in every city. But guess what? There were those who were there to contradict. You know who they were? In reference to them specifically, it was the Judaizers. It was the Judaizers that came in trying to bring aspects of the old law back on the law of Christ. The King James says the gainsayers. And the gainsayers just means those that contradict. So this is a man that has to hold fast the faithful word of God. What does that mean? It means this. This is a man that clings to, he is devoted to the word of God. He is completely devoted to the word of God. It's a very important qualification too because since an elder is in a leadership and teaching position, he will have the, in, the opportunity of influencing the church. If an elder tolerated false things taught, can't you see the direction that the congregation would go? And let me just say this too. All I would say is, I'll make a general statement. Anything that goes against the word of God is false. You know, I don't know, any, I don't know anybody that would disagree with that, really. <clears throat> Anything that contradicts the word of God and the truth of the word of God is false. An elder has to cling to or hold fast the faithful word. Now, he is one that cannot make an uncertain sound. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to give you a passage for that in just a minute. But he can't give an uncertain sound, meaning he cannot be wishy-washy. One time, this, this fellow was not an elder, but I asked him a question years and years and years ago. I was younger. And I said, I have a question. I have a Bible question. I asked him the question about something. And he responded. I was really waiting for him to give me uh, an answer. I really needed a straight answer. You know what he said? Well, it could be this and it could be that. But when you make that decision and when you do what you're going to do, just make sure you're consistent and uh, make the same decision later on down the road. That is a definite maybe about something that I needed specific direction on. 
That is somebody that is echoing an uncertain sound. When it comes to the word of God, an elder cannot be one who echoes an uncertain, wishy-washy sound. It's got to be clear and it's got to be concise. And he needs to know what that sound needs to be. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 8, this is Paul warning the Ephesian elders. Listen to this. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Look at verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In other words, we cannot be passive or indifferent concerning doctrinal truth in the Word of God. Now, when a crisis arises, an elder must give clear direction. Remember when I said about an uncertain sound? Paul, writing to those at Corinth, explains what it's like to give an uncertain sound. In other words, not to be firm and concise about truth. That's all that means. Watch this. It's kind of like this. 1 Corinthians 14 and 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for the battle? Now we know what that is. You know, in the old days, when somebody would go into battle, they'd blast the trumpet, right? Everybody knew what the sound of the trumpet was. You know what the sound of the trumpet was? It was time to go to battle. Now, Paul so brilliantly, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, Paul brilliantly says, if the trumpet guy blasts an uncertain sound, nobody's going to know when it's time to go into battle. They won't know what it means. All it means is you've got to hold fast the faithful word and not give an uncertain sound. How do you do that? How do you not give an uncertain sound? Very simply, here it is. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Now, I will say, I will say, that in the absence of elders, this responsibility falls on the evangelist and the teachers. It falls on every one of you that teaches here. You must hold fast the pattern of sound words in the word of God. Having proper leadership. You know, I think that you can pretty much look at examples of problems in congregations for perhaps that might come up. And it really all goes back to leadership. Leadership is everything. Leadership is everything. And I have to tell you, as long as I've been around, Tina and I will be married 26 years in May, so almost 26 years living in this town, living here. I've lived longer here than anywhere else in my life. This congregation has always enjoyed good leadership, strong leadership. That is imperative. We have to have that. The congregation will only go by way of its leaders. Its leaders and teachers can't be those that are blasting an uncertain sound. No, we got to hold fast sound words. And all that is, folks, all that is, is the word of God. Now watch this. The reason for an elder being able to do this is because they have to hold fast the faithful words so that they will be able to convict and exhort those who contradict. And we talked about what that means, or gainsayers. And by the way, in verse 11 of Titus 1, it says, Whose mouths must be stopped 
who subvert whole houses, teaching things which are they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And by the way, subvert just simply means undermine the authority. Those that undermine the authority of the church or the truth. Now, DeWelt noted this about Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, Titus chapter 1, and I think this is true by the way. He said, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 is a commentary of his words in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 when he said, be apt to teach. Do you see that the word apt, as some would say that it is, do you see that it's not just somebody willing to teach? Apt means skillful. Here's a commentary on that passage. Why? Because he has to be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those that contradict. Primary job of an elder is watching over the flock of God. It requires a man to be a student of the Bible. It requires a man that has a broad knowledge of sound doctrine. And the reason is, is to not only convict those that co contradict, but also to encourage and lead the flock of God. But finally today, finally today, as we conclude our <coughs> remarks... In the New Testament, a bishop or an elder is not pictured as an iron rule authoritarian. He is described as a humble man who views himself as a leader among equals. I like what one man said. He said, you know what? He, he's the kind of guy that views all of us standing at the feet of the cross. And an elder that's the proper humble servant He's the guy that feels in his heart that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That his position of an elder or in his life is not elevated above anyone else. The ground is level. He doesn't look at himself as a puffed up authoritarian. He looks at himself as a forgiven servant. Just like everybody else. You know, when we talk about the idea of an elder desiring the office, desiring the work, here's a quick little glimpse into that work. Acts 20 and 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So, the good work that an elder is to do is twofold. It's to feed the church. And number two... It's to meet the needs of its members. Now, one of the ways that you meet the needs of its members is to feed the sh shepherd the church of God, which is the flock of God. These are the things that an elder does. But finally, in closing, there are many things that an elder does. And we've spent, this is now six lessons. Six lessons. We've talked about a lot of different requirements. But maybe in your mind, you're thinking, but what does an elder do? I see the requirements, and we've kind of touched on some stuff. But what specifically does an elder do? Here they are. Elders' duties. Teaching, leading, protecting, disciplining, comforting, providing security, soothing the troubled, handling disputes, evaluating weaknesses, ministering to the sick, counseling, and even delegating responsibilities. And I'll just say, when it comes to delegating responsibilities, that is my absolute weak spot. That is a weak part of me. 
I have always had the personality to just do it myself. That is not a good leader. And where I might be a good leader in other aspects, I need to work on that, delegating responsibilities. And sometimes that means stepping back and let someone get in there, like Terry says sometimes, and get their feet wet. Sometimes you just have to give them a chance to do that, delegating responsibilities. An elder does that in his duties. But all of this, by the way, remember when I said, why are there so many requirements to be an elder? Why are there? You know, an elder is the highest position that a person could ever have in the Lord's church. It's so important that there has to be a plurality so one man's not puffed up or held up higher than another. Has to be at least two. Now picture this. You want to know how important an elder is? The church is the greatest institution in all the world. The church is the earthly institution of the heavenly kingdom. If the church is the greatest institution in all the world, it means it's the greatest thing in all the world. And if an elder has the highest position in that church, isn't he the most important person in the world? In the eyes of God. All I know is he's more important than the president of the United States. That's a fact. I don't care if it's Donald Trump or whoever. They're not going to get me to heaven. Only the Lord's going to do that. Only the word of God leading me to do that. Through the church. Greatest institution in all the world. The greatest thing. And here's the final thing. An elder with all of these responsibilities cannot do so as an authoritarian. He has to do so as a humble servant. A humble servant. I'm finished, and so is the series on the qualifications of elders. At some point, very soon, I will deal with deacons and their wives. I don't know if I'll do it right away. I may skip a little time. And it is also very possible that I may take, tackle deacons and their wives in one sermon. Not sure yet. I haven't put that all together. But at some point, we will talk about deacons and their wives. This is Elders in the Lord's Church. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.